for visitors, your first time with us, please don't feel pressured by this, but, well, we can't help it. Okay. We've been doing a series which I call Divine Life, talking about the fact that Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And as part of this, we have come up with a way of summarizing what we believe God has called us as a church to be and to do. And so what I'd like you to do is I'm going to put up our mission statement with a couple of blanks in it. And those of you who have been here paying such close attention for the last few weeks, you're going to help others fill in the blanks. So would you stand, greet one another, and fill in the blanks of this. Our mission as a church is to grow a family of believers who are together becoming M&M like Jay. Fill in the blanks. Would you stand up and discuss that together? Thanks. Lord Jesus, I thank you that to accommodate me, you taught profound truths in such simple ways. Because without your teaching, there's so much that I would never, ever been able to grasp. And I thank you for John chapter 15 and the whole concept of you being the vine and we are your branches. I thank you for the way in which it helps me to understand how we live as children of God. And I pray that today you'd take us and stretch us just a little bit further. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. In your bulletin, you have an outline of where we're going today. If you would take that out and just have it handy and grab a pen. When I was in college, I had a professor who one day said to us, next week, I'm going to give you a quiz. So what I'm going to do this morning, he said, is I'm going to give you the answers to the quiz. So that next week, if you like, and if you've spent some time studying, you will be able to ace the quiz. So he handed us the answers to the quiz we were going to get the next week, and we had a whole week then to study the answers. And he said, the reason I'm doing that is because I want you to learn. I'm not here to trick you. I'm not here to make it difficult for you. My goal is I want you to learn. So I'm giving you the answers to the quiz, and next week we'll take the quiz. And if you look at the front of that piece of paper I've given you, there's the quiz. But I need us to fill in the blanks together as we go there. I asked you to fill in the blanks of an earlier one. Where our mission is to grow a family of believers who are together becoming more and more like Jesus. Okay, as far as I'm concerned, that's what every church exists for. The whole purpose is that we would, as a church, together grow so that in character we become more and more just like Jesus Christ. God said in Romans that that is his objective for us. He has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's his goal, is to turn us into people who are more and more like Jesus. Now, here comes the fill in the blanks for the quiz next week. As we've been studying John 15 and trying to, to, to grasp all that uh, we go, we find that there are three sequential relationships that we have to cultivate. In order to become more and more like Jesus, Jesus taught us that there are these three sequential steps. Okay, sequential in that the first one comes first, the second one comes second, the third one comes third. They must happen in that sequence. So here's the first one. The first is a life-receiving relationship with Christ Jesus. When he said, I am the vine, he said, I am the stem. I am the central part of the vine. You are the branches. And just as a branch is connected to the vine, he said, I am the source of your spiritual life. We can't become children of God without connecting ourselves to Christ in faith. 
And we can't grow as children of God unless we sustain and develop that connection. You with me there? So the first step in us becoming more and more like Jesus is that we cultivate personally and as a group a life-receiving relationship with Christ Jesus. It's his life that we receive when we believe in him, and it's his life that we receive as we grow in him. Then the second sequential part to this that is tied to it by the whole New Testament is that we then grow through a life-motivating relationship with one another. God didn't call us into isolated one-on-one relationships with him. He deliberately put us into a body. He put us into a corporate existence. And it is only as we work together using our spiritual gifts and motivating one another to life and to love and to good deeds that we begin to grow in Christ Jesus. So many people say, my church is under a tree. That's nonsense. That is not a church. That's just a tree. You cannot grow in your relationship with God unless you are life on life connected to other Christians. Flat cannot happen, will not happen. We have to connect life to life with other Christians. So our second, first sequence is a life receiving relationship with Christ Jesus. Second is a life motivating relationship with one another. And then the third step is a life giving relationship with our world. God did not intend for us just to be born again and live out our lives happily as children of God alone. He wants us to bring others into his family. Jesus, we read earlier, came to seek and to save those who were lost. That's his passion. That's his goal. And that's his desire for us. In the Great Commission, he told us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given into him. Therefore, our job is to go and make disciples of all the nations. And we're to bring people into his family. Another way of saying this is we're to cultivate divine friendship, and these are his words, with Jesus, with one another, and with our world. In order to become more and more like Jesus, those are the steps that are just a natural part of the life of a believer. And what I'd like to do this morning is just spend some time talking about how we cultivate divine friendships with the people of our world. Okay, come on, there we go. And I've called it that we're to cultivate a life-giving relationship with the people of our world. Here's an interesting thing. Have you ever thought of how farming is a cooperative action between God and a farmer? That it's something that a God and a farmer do together, and the farmer cannot do it without God. So think about this. A farmer decides he's going to grow a crop, so he chooses a field. But that field has got trees and bushes and stuff, so he goes out and he cuts down the trees and digs up the stumps. He pulls out the bushes. He levels the entire field, takes out all the weeds, takes out all the grasses, takes out all the rocks and stuff, does all of that work. Then he plows the field, prepares it, puts fertilizer in the field, plants the seeds, waters the seeds, nurtures the seeds, watches over them, pulls out weeds if if anything grows among them. When the time is right, he brings in his harvest and he puts it into his barn. Aren't you glad you're not a farmer? I mean, good grief. That is an enormous amount of work. And so a farmer does all of that work. But he cannot make a seed germinate. Only God can do that. He cannot make the sun shine. Only God can do that. And so farming then becomes a joint venture between a farmer and God. But notice this. God will not prepare the field. 
God will not pull up the trees. He will not pull out the bushes. He will not pull up the, road, the, the rocks. He won't plow the field. He won't plant the seed. He won't um, fertilize it. He won't watch over it. He doesn't bring it in. God doesn't do any of that. The farmer has to do all of that. But the farmer cannot make the seeds germinate and the sun shine. Do you see how both of them are, are operative in bringing in a, a, a harvest? The same is true about bringing in a harvest of souls in this world. That it is a joint venture between God and us. If people are going to be saved, if people are going to be, be brought out of the grip of hell and into heaven, then it's a joint venture. God does the saving, but he sends us to do the work of bringing people to himself. We are responsible to cultivate a life-giving relationship with the people of our world. We're not intended to just be people who absorb the life of Christ. We're supposed to pass the life of Christ on. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus said, I've got a job for you to do, okay? I didn't choose you to become my, 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 my branches, and we're going to live happily ever after. I chose you to go and bear fruit. In fact, as you read through John 15, he talks about fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. You can't miss it. Now remember, this is the last night that Jesus is spending with his disciples. He's going to go to the cross the next day. He will be buried, he will resurrect, and he will come back to teach them. But he gives them this incredibly important picture to carry in their minds as they go forward. And the Spirit of God implanted it in John so that he would write it for us. Jesus wants us to produce fruit. But what is fruit? What do I do with it? Oh, here it is, right here by me. As you study the concept of fruit in the New Testament, you discover that there are two different kinds of fruit. There's the fruit of Jesus' character and the fruit of new Christians. So when he's talking about fruit, he's talking about the fact that he wants us to become more and more like him through that life, cultivating that life-receiving relationship with him and with one another. But the other kind of fruit he wants is for us to go out into the world and to preach the gospel to others so that others will come into his kingdom. We don't exist for ourselves. And it's interesting that we're about the only institution I know of that exists solely for the purpose of others. <laughs> but our big problem is we spend our life here. And we're very comfortable here. And this is where we, we like to stay and where it's easy. But Jesus said, nope, there's two kinds of fruit that I want you to produce in this world. And that I call it just the fruit of new Christians. On one occasion, Jesus and his disciples were traveling from Jerusalem in the south, going up north to Galilee. And they went through the territory of Samaria. Now, Jews usually didn't go through the territory of Samaria because the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews returned the compliment. They did not like one another at all. And so they never mixed together. But Jesus made his disciples follow him and they traveled through Samaria and they came to a, a, a place along the, the journey where it was noon, it was time to eat. And so Jesus sat down at a well and the disciples went into town, into town to get lunch. And you remember a woman came out from town and to draw water. And it was weird that she came at noon. Women came in the cool of the day. They didn't come at noon. So there was something about her and her townspeople that she avoided them by coming at noon. She came to the, the, the um, well, and then Jesus crossed all kinds of, of barriers. First of all, he was a man, and men didn't speak to women in public. And he spoke to her and asked her to give him a drink. 
Also, he was a Jew and you didn't speak to Samaritans. And then Jews and Samaritans never drank out of the same cup. And so he crossed all kinds of barriers he should not have crossed. And then he engaged her in a, in a conversation that revealed he knew her down to the core of her being. He knew all about her. And they had a little theological debate for a while, but then Jesus connected with her at a level where she understood that he was wanting to bring her to a place of forgiveness before God and of cleansing. And she took off and ran into town to tell the townspeople. And she ran in and she said, come and meet a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Now, she was a woman of sort of low character, and so probably everybody went, woo, well, I want to hear the details of that. And they started to run out of town and come toward uh, Jesus. By this time, the disciples had arrived with their burgers and fries and ready for lunch. And Jesus, as, as, as they're there, Jesus turned them around and he pointed back toward the town. And the townspeople running out from the town and coming toward them, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ripe under harvest. He wasn't talking about any kind of, of literal harvest at this point in time. It wasn't that time of the year. He was pointing to the people. And Jesus said, look at the fields. They're ripe under harvest. Guys, keep this in mind. Around us at all times, there are people who are ready to believe in Jesus Christ if we will just simply build the bridge. A few years ago, some people invited a couple to come to our church, and they came. They were sweet little pagans. I mean, they knew nothing. Okay, And they came to our church, and they attended a couple with their friends, and their friends brought them to church. And then Sue Ann came to me one day, and she said to me, what is, why do you people talk about being born again? What does that mean? Oh, it's kind of like, oh, I love it when people ask me a question like that. I said, I tell you what, we're in the middle of stuff here. Could I come to your home and answer that? She said, sure. So I went to Sue Ann's home. Her husband, Anthony, was there, and they had a little baby, a little baby boy. And uh, the little baby boy was being fussy, and, and Anthony said, oh, I'll tell you what, you can answer Sue Ann's questions. I'm going to take care of the baby. And I was like, no, Lord, I need them both here. And sure enough, that little baby boy just settled down. And so Anthony put him down and he came back and he said, I also want to hear the answer to that question. And so I was able to just walk him through the gospel, tell them about Jesus, who is God, who took upon himself humanity, who died to take the punishment for our sins, who was buried and rose again to give us eternal life. And at the end of that, Anthony and Sue Ann both believed in Jesus Christ. And they became members of our church and walked with Christ for years to come. Here's the thing to understand, okay? They were ready. They were ready. And their friends invited them just to come to church with them. And when they came to church, God could take them the next step. Understand, as you look at your neighbors and you look at your family members and you look at your friends, be fully aware that while they may not seem to have spiritual interest, they may be primed and ready. And so always be alert to that fact that they may be in exactly the place where you want them to be. Paul uses similar words in the book of Colossians. He says, all over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Do you see that concept of a harvest, that concept of fruit? That fruit has to do with the character of Christ. We covered that last week, and, and uh, Galatians 5 is a good description of the character of Christ. But the other kind of fruit that God wants to see is he wants to see a harvest of souls, of people being won into his kingdom. Now, how do we then do this? If we're God's people and he wants us 
to bring relation, to, to take the divine friendship of Christ to the people of our world. How do we do that? Well, let me use the concept of a farmer to help us to understand how we take steps toward the harvest. And the steps toward harvest are these. Hunger, cultivation, sowing, reaping, bringing into the barn. Remember my early story about how a farmer works? That's how a farmer ends up with bringing fruit and vegetables and and grain into his barn. He follows these steps. The first one is hunger. Jesus says, I want you to hunger for the salvation of other people the same way I do. Now, we're going to be talking about evangelism, and most of us go, yeah. Oh, dear Lord, he's going to make us go out with tracts and, and encounter people in the road and talk to them and witness to them. You don't look scared? That's what we're going to do, okay? But since you're not looking scared, I think we probably need to do that. <laughs> See, most of us, when we think about evangelism, have this idea that we're going to go out and confront strangers on the street or strangers in the mall, and that's what evangelism is all about. Now, listen, sometimes... It happens that way. I was sitting next to a woman on a plane once, flying back here. And um, she had a baby, fussy baby. It's like, Lord, let that baby sleep just for me. Okay, the baby slept. And we got into conversation. I asked her, you know, about herself. And, she, and then she got tears in her eyes. And she coming back from the funeral of an aunt that she loved. And her question was, where is she now? I was like, oh, gosh. See, sometimes God kicks the door open for you, okay? Often, he doesn't, but sometimes he does. And so, in that flight from, I think it was from Dallas to to San Diego, I got to share with her the gospel of Jesus Christ. And before we landed here in San Diego, she accepted Christ as her Savior, and she lived down near near, um, El Cajon, wanted to know if there was a church I could recommend to her, okay? Sometimes it happens that way, that between you and a total stranger, You'll have an opportunity to share the gospel, and you should be ready to do that. But most of the time, evangelism happens very differently, and it starts with hunger. You see, God doesn't want us to be guilted into witnessing to others. He doesn't want us to be guilted into evangelizing. Jesus wanted to see people saved. He wanted to bring that woman at the well into his kingdom. When he saw the people there as arrested and helpless, he wanted to bring them into his kingdom. And so Jesus had this passion, desire, And as we cultivate our life-receiving relationship with Christ Jesus and our life-motivating relationship with one another, our hunger starts to grow inside of us, a desire to see other people saved. And it grows if you let it, and it grows inside of us. And so hunger asks Jesus to fill your heart with his love for the lost. And Jesus went throughout the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See the compassion he had for those people? See, often we look at unsaved people, people who are outside of the kingdom of God, and we look at them through the wrong eyes. We look at them as the enemy. They're not. They're the victims of the enemy. We look at them as people who are hostile, and sometimes they are. We'll deal with that in just a moment. Sometimes they are. But often they're ready. They're so ready if somebody would just simply act like a shepherd to lead them toward God. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice what Jesus said for us to do in terms of that harvest. He said, first, ask God to make you hungry. 
Let's do that right now. Just if you would, join me in prayer. And here's what I'd like you to do. There's someone in your world who is not yet saved. They do not yet believe in Jesus. It may be you. Or it may be a sister or a brother, family member, friend or neighbor. Just in the quietness of your heart, pray for that person. Now pray that God will bring someone into that person's life who will lead them to faith in Jesus. Father God, you know the two people foremost in my mind. And I pray that you will bring someone who they will respect, who they will trust, and who will be able to lead them to faith in you. If it's going to be me, that will be great. But Father God, I pray that you would bring someone into that person's life. And then God, make me hungry to see other people saved as well. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So before a farmer will go out and do all that work of planting a field and bringing in the harvest, he's got to be hungry. And hunger is what motivates him. And so hunger for the souls of others is really the first place we go, that we ask God to create that hunger inside of us. Then he cultivates the field. And the way we do that is by cultivating friendships with people who do not yet know Jesus. Now, look me in the eyes and listen very carefully. Even if they never believe in Jesus, you still cultivate a relationship with them. With me there? In other words, this is not to go out and get a scalp that you can hang on your belt. Good, one another person, got another one. No, because people will know your motives are wrong. To cultivate relationships with people means we develop genuine relationships with them. From the time I accepted Christ as my Savior, it took 15 years before the next members of my family began to believe in Jesus Christ. And then steadily, one by one over the years, more and more of them became followers of Jesus Christ. They're my family. My relationship with them sustained because we were family. But sometimes we have to develop a relationship with people who are not yet family and sustain that relationship for year after year, waiting patiently that someday God may enter, the time may be right, the time may be perfect for them to come to know Jesus Christ. Years ago, one of the men in my church had came to me and he said, listen, for years, I've been working with a man to help him to transition his business to his sons. He's just found out he's got cancer, and he asked me for help. And the guy said, I don't know how to help him. So he said, would you meet with us? So I said, okay. So we went to breakfast at this incredible restaurant. Oh, my gosh. The guy arrived in his chauffeur-driven Rolls Royce. Now, talk about Raymond being intimidated. It's like, ooh, I'm way out of my depth here. The man sat down, his name was Jim, and Jim said this to me. He said, I had cancer once before, and I beat it. My son was killed in a motorcycle accident, and I beat it. And now I've got cancer again, and this one I can't beat. What does God want me to know? Like, oh, this is going to be fun. 
So we went through the gospel at the table. And at the end of it, that man hung his head and humbly put his faith in Jesus Christ. Glory to Raymond? No. His friend had cultivated this relationship over the years. And when the time was right, he was ripe for, for, for saving. After breakfast, Jim said to me, my brother Eddie needs to hear this. Next Tuesday, breakfast here with Eddie. Now, when a man's driving a chauffeur driven Rolls Royce, you say, yes, sir, I'll be here next Tuesday. Next morning, Eddie's story was this. He said, I hate my dad. Oh, great. Here we go. He said, my dad is dead. I hated him all my life, and I hate him now. Can God help me with hatred? Oh, yeah, he can. Let me tell you how. At the end of breakfast, Eddie put his faith in Jesus Christ. After breakfast, Jim said, my sister Romy, next Tuesday, same place, same time. We, Romy, it turned out Romy didn't want to hear. At the end of, 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 of that, Amy arrived. Amy's Romy's daughter. Amy arrived just as I was making a statement about the fact, well, you've got to understand that all of us have this hole in our souls that only God can fill. And Amy said, I can't believe you just said that. I said, why? She said, I've just come from my therapist. And my therapist told me I've got a hole in my soul. Breakfast next week? Breakfast next week. (laughs) Sat down with Amy, and Amy's husband came as well. Amy put her faith in Jesus Christ. Amy's husband wouldn't. But notice how the chain started. The chain started with a man who cultivated a friendship with Jim. I did his funeral, and I did Eddie's funeral, by the way. And it was incredible to be able to tell the stories of these men who were hated by their families, by the way, because they were such hard-driven men, but who had become followers of Jesus Christ. The chain didn't start with Raymond as the pastor, okay? I was just, happened to be luckily there at the time. The chain started with a man who developed a relationship with his client over the years so that the client eventually knew, I can ask, and this man will have an answer for me. Jesus said, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. John the Baptist, they criticized John the Baptist because he stayed away from the crowds. From, from mingling with people. Then they criticized Jesus because he hung out with sinners and, and tax collectors and, and the dregs of society. And Jesus basically said to them, we can't make you happy, okay? Religious leaders, you'll never be happy. But Jesus hung out with sinners. Why? Because he loved them. He hung out with them without condoning their sin, without joining them in their sin. He hung out with them. Years ago, I had a friend who was an airlines pilot. He flew a, a jumbo jet, 747 captain on that. He was a believer in Christ. In fact, he had helped us by leading worship at our, at our church. A phenomenal guitar player. But when he was on trips with his, with his cabin crew, he would go to the hotel by himself and they'd go out and party. And after he clicked with this concept, he said, I'm going to see if I can figure a way that I can go with them when they go out and party. So he took his guitar with him and carried his guitar with him to the clubs or the bar where they went. First time they did it. And as they were there, they're looking at him with his guitar, and he started to play contemporary songs that everybody knew. His story, okay? Before the evening was over, everybody in the bar was singing with him on his guitar. Now, was he sinning? No. He put himself, because he could. We can't always do this. Not all of us can do it. But he put himself in a place where now he had a legitimate bridge to be able to talk to his cabin crew and to witness to them about Jesus Christ. 
He became a pastor, by the way. <laughs> he eventually pastored a church in England, and he now lives somewhere in Florida. And I just wondered, was he ever as fruitful in his evangelism as a pastor as he was as a pilot? I don't think so. I think he had more lives that he could have contacted along the way. So there's got to be hunger. Then we cultivate friendships, genuine friendships with people. And when you're in the midst of that friendship, there will come a time when you, need, when you can and should sow the clear message of the gospel. At some point, God will open the door. He does, okay? At some point, they will ask you a question. At some point, they will, there will be something that gives you an opportunity to share the gospel with them. What's the gospel? Well, Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians 15.3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The Bible tells us that Jesus was a man who became God. Who died on the cross to take the punishment for our sins. Was buried and rose from the dead. It's that simple. That's the key. The, the central point to the gospel. It's the turning point of all human history. Was Jesus came back from the dead. Now, how do we share the, this message with people? Peter gives us some instructions. He says, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, trust him. Oh, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obey you. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. So be prepared. Somewhere along the line, somebody's going to ask you, what do you believe? What does your church believe? Why do you believe? Okay. Now, understand this. You go, well, Raymond, somebody's going to teach us. Well, yeah. That's what church is about. It's a place where we come, we're supposed to be training one another to be able to do this kind of thing. He says, be ready to give a reason. And here's, look me in the eyes and then you can go back to sleep again. Here's the most important thing. The first thing you do is that you give a reason why you believe in Jesus. It's your own personal testimony. Okay? Just tell them, I believe in Jesus. Here's why I believe in Jesus. The key to this is they can't argue with that. Some people will argue all kinds of theological issues and stuff like that. But this is your experience. You tell them, I believe in Jesus and here's why I believe in Jesus. Or I believe in Jesus and here's how, how I became a believer in Jesus. Part of your homework for this week is to sit down and write one paragraph that says that. One paragraph, not a page. One paragraph. That just says, why do you believe in Jesus? And how did you believe in Jesus, perhaps? And he says, but do this when they ask you with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Understand this. When you're sharing the gospel with people, you're not trying to win an argument. If they become argumentative, give up. Because the point is not to win the argument. The point is to tell them about Jesus. And if they come up with counter-arguments, I had one man, I met with him for three times, and he kept coming up with counter-argument, 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 and I would answer his arguments. And after the third time, I told him, that's it, we're not going to meet anymore. Why? Why not? I said, because you're not interested in listening to the answers. All you want to do is show off how much you know and how clever you are at countering me. So there's no point in going on with these meetings. And you go, you, you had the nerve to do that? Yeah, because he needed to understand. Listen, when you're ready... And you want an answer, come. And then we'll deal with it. But Peter says, just do it with gentleness and respect. Recognizing that the person may not be ready to hear the gospel just yet. So do it gently and let them do it. And if you do, 
Paul explains this. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how do they believe in him whom, whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And preaching doesn't mean what I'm doing. Preaching means proclaiming, telling the gospel. And how are they to proclaim the gospel unless they are sent? Do you get the point? How are people going to hear about Jesus Christ? Through us. God could write it in the clouds. He could write it in the stars. He could print books and papers and stuff like that on his own. God said, I'm going to incarnate my word. Do you know what incarnate means? I'm going to make my message come to them in flesh, in people. And that's what he does with his spirit. That he gives us the responsibility and the privilege of going to others. They won't hear about Jesus unless we, who know Jesus, take the message to him. And what I'd like you to do is just look down at your feet for a moment. Because when we do that, God says something magical, beautiful happens. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Too bad they translated it preach. Those who tell the good news. God says, man, when you do this, when you take your feet and walk into the life of somebody else and present the gospel to them, you got beautiful feet. And believe me, if you could see my feet outside of these shoes, you would know it would take a miracle to make something beautiful out of them. All right. Hunger first to see people saved. Cultivate a relationship with them. When the time is right, you sow your testimony. And you sow an explanation of who Jesus Christ is so that if they're ready, they can believe in him. Now, if they're ready, you've got to reap. And there comes a time when you need to ask, would you like to accept Christ as your savior? If you've ever done this, you know it's one of the scariest moments possible where you've shared with them who Jesus is. You've shared with them your own testimony and you ask them, would you like to accept Christ as your savior? It seems scary, don't be scared. Because remember the the whole thing that this is a joint venture between us and God? You can't force them to believe. You can't make them believe. All you can do is beg them to believe. Paul says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the best you can do. You can't make them believe. But there comes a moment when you need to ask that question. And over the years, when people, I've asked that question of people, and they've said, no, no, not yet. I said, that's okay. That's fine. We'll come back to it later when you're ready. But so often they go, yes, I'm ready. I want to accept Christ as my Savior. And that's when you just, now watch this. You don't, there's no mumbo jumbo. You just lead them in making a statement to God, Jesus, I want you in my life. I, I want you to come in and be my God. I don't understand everything, but Jesus, I want you in my life life. It's that simple. And so you reap. But after you've reaped, there's one more thing you've got to do. Bring the new believer into your church or small group. No farmer does all of that work and he reaps his his grain and he leaves it out in the field for people to come and steal and for animals to eat. He knows it's got to be taken into the barn. And so the final step is once you've led someone to faith in Jesus Christ, bring them into the church. In fact, You could bring them in at any step along the line. Because one of the beauties about bringing them into the church is that they encounter Jesus Christ in his people. 1965, I was a senior in high school. (laughs) It's a long time ago. I was assigned 
in English class to sit next to this beautiful blonde girl who was an American missionary kid in South Africa. My ego at the time was zero, sitting next to 10. So zero does nothing about hitting on 10 because this is out of your reach. This is out of, don't do a thing. We became friends because I was probably the only guy in the class not hitting on her. We became friends. And then she invited me to go with her to her youth group. Oh, no. Movies? Yeah. Party? Yeah. Church? No, 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 no. (laughs) Not going to happen. She was beautiful, okay? And she's asking me to go with her somewhere, and I'm going, no, no. And she kept asking until finally I said, okay. And I went with her to a youth group on a Friday night. And when I walked into that youth group, I didn't figure it out until later. I met Jesus in high schoolers. I walked into that room and Jesus was there. And I went back from then on, not because she invited me, but because Jesus was there. And it took about five months for Jesus to break through the fog in my brain before I accepted Christ as my Savior. But Jesus was there in high schoolers. And it was the most incredible thing. And so somewhere along the line, bring people into church or into your group of believers because you want them to meet Jesus among his people. It's an incredibly powerful thing. We find that's what happened with the early church. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's an enormous power of bringing people into connection with God's people within a church or within your small group. Okay, so the steps to harvest are hunger, cultivation, sowing, reaping, and then bringing them into the barn. Andy Stanley summed it up in shorthand. Invest in other people and then invite them to believe in Jesus. Invest in them really as a friend, as somebody who's got a genuine heart for them. And then when the time is right, invite them into the kingdom. And so cultivating divine friendship, God calls us to do, to cultivate a divine friendship with Jesus. And friendship's his word, by the way, from John 15. He said, you obey me and you love me, I'll make you my friends. Cultivating divine friendship with one another and divine friendship with our world is how God is building his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for giving us the honor of being part of, of the most important thing you're doing in the universe today. And I pray that individually and corporately as a church, we will see more and more, more and more fruit, that more and more people will come into your your kingdom because you are working through us. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.